I'm glad that you're all here. Uh, something I actually forgot to mention at the, at the announcements is in two weeks, we're going to have uh, a baptism gathering. So uh, if you haven't been baptized, you've been processing what baptism means, I would love to talk to you or you could talk to one of the other elders uh, because we want everyone to walk in obedience uh, in our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, baptism is an important step, an important uh, evidence of faith for a believer. So uh, I would love to talk to you about that if you haven't been uh, baptized as a believer. Let me pray for us, and then we'll actually we'll get into the sermon. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the chance that we can come and hear the word preached. Be with us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart, really, to receive what you have for us today as we look into um, Jesus' uh, conviction and his, his betrayal and uh, the sentencing that we're going to be talking about and his innocence, ultimately. Lord, be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the place we find ourselves in John's gospel is near the end of Jesus' betrayal and arrest and trial, and in the passage that we have for ourselves today is when we're going to hear about the first part of Jesus' sentencing. So we've talked about his betrayal, we've talked about his arrest and trial, and today is going to be about the first half of his sentencing with Pilate. Last week, Kyle made this statement, he said that Jesus was denied justice so that we could receive mercy. Jesus was denied justice so that we could receive mercy, which actually directly connects to what we're going to learn today as well as next week. So let us read our text for today. It's John 18, uh, 28 through 38. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, John 18, 28 through 38. And while you're doing that, I want to remind you about the resource wall over there. All of those books are free. We want you to take those books. We want you to read those books. Those books are a good resource as a way to supplement uh, reading God's Word to help you understand what is being taught in the Scriptures. This is the ultimate authority, but those books over there are a benefit and a help as we walk out this process of sanctification that we're all uh, in the midst of. All right, so um, again, where we pick up this story is in the moment at which the Sanhedrin, that is the Jewish religious elite, are attempting to convince Pilate to kill Jesus uh, essentially for them. So if you would stand with me in reverence for God's word, I'm going to read John 18, 28 through 38. Then they led Jesus from the house of Capius to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did, they, did, you say it, did someone say it about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of the world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat, and I'll pray again. Father, thank you for, again, your word. 
Lord, I'm so grateful that we as a church get to come and hear from you on a daily basis. Father, I pray that you, you give us deeper faith. You help us to, to recognize the truth that you're going to reveal to us. Lord, help us to walk it out with those in our life. Be with us as we hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. If we were to sort of step back in a way before we really begin and consider everything that's going on, if we were to take in and take a look at all of what chapter 18 is telling us all at once, it really would seem ridiculous. Everything that's sort of happened so far in chapter 18 would continue to see, seem more and more egregious. Just think about what's actually happening here in chapter 18. The friend of sinners is being accosted by the hatred of sinners. The one who created the earth and therefore rightly is the judge of the earth is being charged by human judges, those whom he gave life. The one Lord of all, the very King of kings, was being humiliated and mocked. The one who is the truth was being questioned by evil liars. But even as we see all of this, despite their evil and sinful efforts, there is one thing that is going to be shown most clearly through all of this, and it's the confirmation of Jesus' innocence. Through all of this, what we're actually able to see is Jesus' innocence, and it's his innocence that is so important for us to see as we remember what Kyle sort of set up for us last week, that Jesus was denied justice so that we could receive mercy. As we look at Jesus' innocence, it's a helpful way for us to understand how Jesus is denied justice so we can receive mercy. In order for us to grasp that full blessing that is encompassed in the gospel, we must be able to recognize Jesus' innocence because it's at the very foundation of the gospel. It's the very foundation of who he is and his identity. Now, there's another thing that we need to know before we actually move forward, and it's this. That all of this, even what's happening in these moments, was known by God and, in fact, even planned by God. All right, we want to understand his innocence, but we also need to see that all of this, even these crazy, ridiculous moments, were planned by God. Some 700 years before any of this even took place, God spoke. And he spoke through a prophet named Isaiah, and this is what he said, Isaiah 53, 9 and 10. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the full will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. I also want us to see that this part of John's gospel that we're currently in can be a bit tricky to follow along with from week to week. Right, yeah, we want to talk about his innocence, and we're going to talk about uh, God's purpose in all of this, but I also want to acknowledge the fact that because we're walking through from chapter 18 on, sort of just a, a narration from John's eyewitness account, it can be a bit tricky to follow along with week to week. It's, it's a little bit difficult, and it's going to be like that really until we finish this sermon series, because the chapters that follow are less about doctrinal truths as they are about showing us providential fulfillment. So we can't just point out, this is justification, this is what it means, although we love to do that, because justification and doctrinal truths matter. But from here on out, it's really more about recognizing the providential fulfillment of salvation in the gospel. Therefore, 
as we continue to study, as we continue to walk through John's gospel, what we're meant to see on the whole as we work our way through Jesus' betrayal, arrest, and trial, and sentencing is the nauseating reality of the Lord's death. I want us to recognize the nauseating reality of the Lord's death, and hopefully as that makes us uncomfortable, which it should, we might begin to understand the vulgarity of our own sin. On the whole, as we look at Jesus' death, I want us to see the vulgarity of our own sin and why it could only be God himself who would save us. It could only be God himself who can save us because it's only those who recognize the sin of their sinfulness that will truly depend or trust upon the Savior for salvation. Did you get that? It is only those who recognize their sin in their sinfulness that it will trust or depend upon the Savior for their salvation. Amen. And there's a contrast to that. The contrast to that idea is seen in the actions of the Jewish religious elite here in this passage, those who are leading the nation in Jerusalem. There's a contrast here. So let's look at our text as we begin to chop it up. Verse 28. Then they, then, they, uh, then they led Jesus from the house of Capias to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. Now, the Jewish religious elite have been working, really, for some time now to discover a way as a way to kill Jesus. Right? We've learned this over the last couple weeks. We saw it in John 5. We saw it in John 7. We also saw it in John 11, where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and Kyle talked about that last week. But the point that I want to draw out here again is about innocence. I want to talk about innocence. You see, the Apostle John highlighted a very particular point for us that is meant to show us something about these religious Jewish leaders. As we've already learned, they've held a trial for Jesus that didn't match up with how it was supposed to go according to the law, but they did it anyways. Because their pride and their selfish greed really blinded them from caring about proper obedience. The law said, don't do it this way, but they did it anyways because they were blinded by their pride and selfish greed. In fact, because they didn't care about proper obedience. And it was that same pride that really lured them into believing that they could actually still feel righteous. Despite the wrong they were doing, they could make themselves feel righteous. Therefore, as a way to maintain their image and prestige among men... They followed certain outward activities of the law that they chose while disregarding the meaning of the law. They chose certain laws that they could perform while disregarding, in fact, the very meaning of the law. And I think it's fair to say that because apparently they made such a big deal about not entering Pilate's home that John felt it necessary to tell us that. He felt it necessary for us to to remember that. Yes, which according to the law, it would have been wrong for them to enter into the house of a Gentile, which would have made them ceremonial unclean for seven days, and it would have kept them at a distance for that celebration of Passover. But during that time, they didn't realize at all that they were completely dishonoring the giver of the law. They were saying, we're going to follow the law to a T, but while they consistently dishonored the giver of the law. They were handing him over to be killed while they were falsely or superficially saying that they were following after what he declared. Now, with that said, it's important for us to recognize and not separate ourselves from this story. We can see ourselves in this moment because it's 
It's just incredible how we too, sometimes as sinners, will actually feel and even defend our own innocence when the reality of the moment perfectly reveals our guilt. Right? We all do this. We all feel very innocent sometimes. We'll even defend our innocence when the reality of the moment actually points directly to the fact that we are guilty. The truth was lost on these leaders of the nation. The reality of the truth was lost on the leaders of this nation because they were blinded in their sin. They were blind in their sin. Again, here is what is happening. These men who were meant to be the Jewish religious elite expected to please God with their legalistic consideration of the law by remaining outside of the Gentiles' house, while at the same time setting in motion this plan to illegally murder God's son, but still they carefully and meticulously avoided the superficial ceremonial defilement so they wouldn't miss out on the rest of the seven-day feasts where they would get to be publicly seen and heard by the people of Jerusalem. They were more concerned about their image and their prestige than they were about honoring God. Somehow, they thought that they had secured their own innocence through the trivial pursuit of the law while sinfully dishonoring the Father by dishonoring the Son. Now, remember how bad that is. Jesus talked about that earlier on in the gospel. He said, if you dishonor the Son, you dishonor the Father. Going on, verse 29, so Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Verse 30, they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, would we, not have, would we have delivered him over to you? So who's Pilate in this story? Who is Pilate? Well, at this time, he was appointed the Roman governor of Jerusalem. And according to historians, he was appointed to that position in 26 AD, and he held it until 37 AD. But he was not a good man. He wasn't a good man. D.A. Carson tells us that history has come to know him as a morally weak and vacillating man who, like many of the same breed, tried to hide his flaws under the shows of stubbornness and brutality. I love to read Carson. I really wish that I was as regal as he is sometimes. (laughs) He goes on, he says, His rule earned him the loathing of the Jewish people, small groups of whom violently protested and were put down with savage ferocity. He was not a good man. He was not a good ruler. Luke 13.1 tells us about how Pilate, in fact, killed Galileans while they were performing sacrifices to God. He literally went in and killed them while they were performing their sacrifices in a way to mix their blood with the blood of the sacrificial animals that they were giving to God. He was not a good man. He was not a good ruler. And in knowing this, that is who they brought Jesus to. In knowing this about Pilate, this is who they brought Jesus to. Again, 29, so Pilate went outside, went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, would we have delivered him over to you? Now, if we were to use the intense skills that we've learned from network television detective shows, we can easily recognize the fact that the religious elite probably had some sort of conversation with Pilate about this already. Right? It's pretty plain. And we know this because of how Jesus was captured. Just think about it. Who was it that came to get Jesus in the garden? Who came? Yes, it was Judas, but it was also Roman soldiers. And what would Roman soldiers have to do with a Jewish problem? Why would they be there? 
They would only be there if Pilate, their governor, commanded them to be there. So they obviously had some sort of conversation going on. This is why they were there, which is why the conversation seems a bit feisty or even maybe even a bit confusing to the Jewish elite. Pilate says, why did you bring him here? The Jewish guys say, uh, because he's done something wrong, remember? It's why we brought him here. It's why we brought him here to you today. The Jewish elite obviously, again, had to have had some sort of communication with Pilate beforehand because of the conversation, that, and because of that conversation, they evidently expected him to sort of bang the gavel and make the ruling that they themselves had already suggested. Again, because it's why they were there. We need you to kill him. We need to get rid of this guy. And they went this route because they couldn't legally do it themselves. They couldn't legally do it themselves. You see, when Rome conquered a city or conquered a nation, they, uh, one of the laws that they would put in place was that the newly conquered people wouldn't be able to carry out their own capital punishment. And there's a reason for this. It's an obvious reason, really, to keep the peace, to keep order in the city, but it also so the people of the city who supported the new ruler wouldn't just be killed off, right? So it made sense. Although their bringing, the Jewish elite, their bringing Jesus to Pilate was their guilty method of murdering Jesus. So they were seeking for a loophole. But this wasn't a surprise to God. Remember, we're talking about his innocence, but we're also remembering that this is all planned providentially by God. This was not a surprise of God. Because as we know, Scripture will always be fulfilled. And John shows us again that God has purpose in all things. Verse 31, Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Verse 32, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. Now, to understand verse 32, it makes more sense if we look at Mark 10. It's there that we actually hear Jesus predict how he is going or or how there's going to be Gentiles involved in his death. Mark 10, 33 to 34. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Jesus knew what was going to happen. This has been a plan from the beginning. Next, Pilate goes back inside where Jesus was, and he leaves the Jewish leaders outside, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Even before he questioned Jesus, Pilate knew that the Sanhedrin wanted him to kill Jesus for them. Even before he asked that question, he knew that they wanted him to kill Jesus for them. But they also knew something. The Sanhedrin also knew that they couldn't use the accusation that Jesus was just simply a blasphemer before their God because Pilate wouldn't have cared about that. They couldn't just say, hey, he's saying mean things about our God. Because Pilate wouldn't have cared So they had to come up with a different lie, something else that he would actually hear their accusation. And we can read their accusation in Luke 23, 23, 1 and 2. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And we know that's not true because Jesus didn't actually lead them in a direction away from honoring Caesar. He said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God." This is an obvious lie. They manufactured this lie 
that Jesus was misleading the nation and that he was going to make himself king. And they went with that because they knew that Pilate would have to listen to them. He would have to listen to them. Pilate would have to uh, take into consideration what they were saying because there was no way that he could overlook a threat like that to Rome. In his position, there was no way he would be allowed to overlook that, which is why he asked the question, are you the king of the Jews? Now, was that an honest question? Was that an honest question from Pilate? Did Pilate really think that Jesus was a threat? Because again, remember who Pilate is. From his position or from his pomp, did Jesus really seem like a threat to him? I imagine that Pilate even asked this question more sarcastically, like, are you a king? Are you a king? Because if you think that you're a king, where are your followers? If you think that you're a king, where is your army? Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answers in 34, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Now, if Pilate was asking for himself, of course, he would have been asking more in a political sense or even trying to see if Jesus had some sort of military power behind him to which Jesus, of course, would have said no. But if Pilate would have, but he would have said yes if Pilate was asking if Jesus was Israel's true king because he wouldn't lie. He wasn't there for political gain. He wasn't there to overtake the world through military power. But if Pilate would have asked him if he was Israel's true king, our Lord would have said yes. Verse 35, Pilate answered him, Am I a Jew? Your nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Politically, Pilate was right. If he were a king, where was his people? Where was his army to fight for him? And Jesus makes the same statement here. No earthly king would have allowed himself to just be taken the way that he was. The king's soldiers would have fought to their death as a way to protect and defend their king. The people that belonged to him would have given their life for him. But we know that Jesus actually rebuked his own people for this. Right? Remember Peter who cut the ear off the soldier? He was rebuked for this. Because the kingdom of God, Jesus' kingdom, which he innocently declares, is not of this world. It's not from this world. Which, of course, confused Pilate. 37, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate isn't even fully aware of what he's saying. He doesn't even really understand what he's asking of Jesus. Because Jesus' kingship was the very reason that he was born into this world. In his birth, he brings the purpose of revealing the truth of God to the world. And everyone, really anyone who listens, who follows, that is, listens to the perfect word, will be brought into that truth. Anyone who listens will be brought into that truth, which means that it is also an invitation for us as well today, for you today to follow in faith after Jesus Christ. Just as it was um, just as it was an implied invitation to Pilate to listen and obey because that is the only right response to the truth about Jesus. 
The only right response to the truth about Jesus is to turn to repent and believe. That's it. But it was all lost on Pilate. It was all lost on Pilate. He abruptly ends the conversation with this cynical statement, what is truth? And then he goes back outside to declare his verdict to the people, I find no guilt in this man. I find no guilt in him. Now we know that this is not the end of the story, right? We have the full account. We've probably read the full account. We know the story and we know that it doesn't end here because even though there was no valid indictment of Jesus by the Jews and there was no conviction of Jesus by Pilate, our Lord and King will still be condemned to death. God has purpose. Now we're going to discuss that next week, but before we go, I want us to know why Jesus' innocence matters so much. Why does it matter to us as Christians who, might have, who do have faith and might have faith in Christ? Why does his innocence matter so much? There's two reasons why it matters. One is that there is such a thing as right and wrong. There is such a thing as right and wrong. Uh, truth does exist, and Pilate's statement about truth is just an example for us about what the world believes, the very world that we have to face on a daily basis. Because without God, there is no objective truth, and therefore there is no real way forward in the world. In anything that we face, without objective truth, there is no real way forward in this world. Without God, truth will change. And it will be changed by the sways of culture when in reality our culture is meant to be defined by the truth. We have truth before us in Scripture. Our culture is meant to be defined by it. Without knowing what is right and wrong, all we will be are people who consistently go back to the same dry wells trying to have our thirst quenched. That's our only fate without truth. And the second reason why Jesus and his innocence matters so much is because without it, God's wrath could not be removed from our head. Without Jesus' innocence, God's wrath could not be removed from our heads. If Jesus went to the cross a sinner, he wouldn't be qualified to be the perfect and final sacrifice for the sin of God's people. He just wouldn't qualify. He would no longer be God. Therefore, when we see innocence and we see purpose, both accomplished and done perfectly by God, Will you today turn and allow your guilt to be washed away in Christ's innocence? Will you today allow your guilt to be removed, cast as far as the east is from the west by Jesus' innocence? But it, I need you to know it's not a matter of decision. It's not a matter of decision. It's a matter of following the command of our king to repent and believe. It is the only right response. It is a command that comes with a promise of forgiveness. Repent and believe. If you would pray with me, please. Father, thank you for your promises. Thank you, Lord, for your command that you generously and graciously give us to lead us into righteousness. Lord, help us as a church to walk in the light, not in the darkness, to leave the world and honor and serve you in all things, Lord. Help us to follow the truth. Thank you for your word that guides us and leads us in that way. 
Lord, give us boldness as we proclaim this, Lord. Let us recognize how John's gospel is about evangelism and speaking the truth of Jesus Christ. Give us a heart, a fire in our bones to share this truth with as many people as we possibly can, believer and unbeliever. We all need to hear it, Lord. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your command. Thank you for your son and his sacrifice. Thank you for your spirit that allows us to understand. In Jesus' name, amen.